Hello everyone and welcome to 2024. You're listening to Motos and Friends, the weekly podcast brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. I and everyone on my team wishes you and your loved ones a happy, healthy and prosperous new year. This week's first segment is brought to you by editor Don Williams, who recently rode the new 2024 Yamaha Tenere 700. Although the Tenere has been around for some time now, unusually, Don has never quite managed to get the chance to ride one. So, he looks at the Tenere and its updates for 2024 from a fresh perspective. The big question is whether the Tenere is getting too long in the tooth to maintain its place in the market, or is it a really good, mature motorcycle that absolutely deserves to be on your shopping list? In our second segment this week, I chat with my friend Heath Coffran, the US communications lead for Alpine Stars. Heath chats about some of the upcoming ideas from the company, the Tech Air Safety System and its development, and the really interesting new Supertech R10 helmet that was just launched last year and worn for the first time by Jorge Martin and Jack Miller in MotoGP. So, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, Happy New Year once again, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. The 2024 Yamaha Tenere 700. It's back, and better than ever. Though not a lot better than ever, because the changes this year aren't that big, but they are the first changes to the bike since it debuted. Uh, back in 2019 uh, it's been kind of a funny bike for me uh, you know I, I kind of ride everything and this is one that's eluded me for the most part I mean I had ridden it a tiny bit but not much well, when it first came out uh, associate editor Jess McKinley went over to Europe to ride it for the first time and then the bike ended up not coming out in the United States for like another year just one of those things that that happens sometimes and then when it came out here Nick went this us uh, uh, senior editor Nick DeSena went to go ride and test the bike. So there's the second year of it. The third year of it, Neil Wyan, our associate editor, he grabbed it and he made one of the most amazing project bikes out of it over the last couple of years. And so because it was getting so much traffic and you know so much attention through his project bike story, there was kind of no need to grab another one to test. So I just never got to ride it more than you know like around the block kind of thing so i in the tenere 700 super popular bike everybody loves it and i don't get to ride it which is not fair <laughs> so anyway this time when uh, yamaha's updated it uh i got to ride it and uh, i grabbed one and let me just the, the updates are not again they're not super <laughs> detailed uh the big thing is that it has uh, a new ABS option. Before it had just normal ABS and then it had front wheel only ABS and now it has the option of no ABS where you can turn off both the front and rear wheel. So that's good for the, the off-road guys. It's got a new TFT display and uh, instead of the LCD and it looks a million times better. And it's kind of funny, no matter who makes TFT displays, they always look great. Arthur, have you ever seen a TFT display that wasn't like, we quit, I quit, I always edit out when somebody says the sharp and crisp TFT display. It's like, well, there are, <laughs> they're all sharp and crisp. They all yeah. look good. The cheapest ones on the cheapest bike, the most expensive one on the expensive bike, they all look great. And 
that's the case with uh, the Yamaha and the, the new TFT display. It and it's it, it's they mount vertically instead of you know typically we see a horizontally mounted dash. Uh, Yamaha wanted to have that uh, rally look, so it's 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 mounted vertically and it just looks cool. And with that, it also has uh, a new little roller dial uh, for your right thumb, so you can like scroll through the menus on the dash. And it's one of these things where you roll it and you can also push it in. So it's like a roller and a button in one. Unfortunately, it's on your right, the right side. And I know why they did that because some lawyers came in and said, hey, we don't want people doing that while they're riding or we don't, we want to make it really inconvenient. So, <laughs> because you know that the test riders, the test riders are not, you know, they're smart guys and they're experienced motorcyclists and they want to make the bike work as well as they can. You know, they wanted that little roller thing on the left. But the, the lawyer said, no, 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 no. <laughs> the fun police <laughs> came in and, and, and prevented that from happening. So it's on the right. And so it does make uh, going into the eight new ABS a little tricky because you have to you have to scroll through a couple different levels of menu and then scroll to it and then uh, the one you want and then click it once to select it and then a second longer push to to initiate it so that you have uh abs off so it's like they really didn't want you to turn the abs off it, again it was one of those things where you know it's a fight between the people who want to turn abs off and make it easy because that's you know good for off-road riding and then the lawyers who say oh no 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 if the abs is off everything will go wrong what are we gonna do <laughs> so, uh you know so they had to compromise and say okay okay we'll let you put it on the right right thumb and the other thing about the new abs is Every time you either hit the kill switch, uh, turn the key off, or put the kickstand down in gear, it reverts back to the standard full ABS. So you have to go through the whole process every time you stop. So that's oh, okay. pretty, pretty annoying. So right. again, it's a lawyer deal. It's not like the R&D guys and the test writers at Yamaha can't figure out a better system. It's that somebody in the legal department, some guy wearing a suit who's never ridden a motorcycle, you just can't stand it that people are going to be able to do that. And then uh, to rub it in, then to rub it in, there's a button on the fairing for ABS on. So if you're riding and, and the ABS off and you don't want to go through that whole system, you can push this button and it'll put the regular full ABS on. It's like, well, okay, I want that button to be ABS off, <laughs> not ABS on. I have no problem getting it on. I just hit the kill switch, turn the key off. A bunch of things will turn it off. You know, or, or turn, you know, reinstate the uh, ABS. I need a button that turns it off quickly. So anyway, there's my pet peeve about that whole system. But the good thing is, is it's there. So when you're riding, you know, it's you can you can as long as you remember to go through the little process every time you stop and turn the bike off. Uh, you know, then you can do it. Now, if you happen to stall the bike, like let's say you're in gear and you stall it for whatever reason, it will stay in the ABS off position if that's where you had it uh it's it, you do have to either hit the kill switch or the key which you know people typically when they come to a stop and they want the bike to turn off that's how they do it they don't do it by stalling it so right. anyway so i get to ride oh and also it, it's wired for a quick shifter and uh the test bike we had had the quick shifter unfortunately it's a up only quick shifter because the the motor that the Yamaha uses for that is from the MT-07, and that's now nine years old. Can you believe that? 
Wow. Nine years of the MT-07, but the CP2, the cross-plane two, you know, cross-plane twin motor. And so it's not up to, it's not, the motor's not fully up to date electronically. It doesn't have, you know, uh, it's not ride by wire. So you don't, we end up not having like things like cruise control or launch control or traction control or engine modes. None of those things are on this bike. You don't really need them. You know, uh, I don't need wheelie control. I, you know, it, it's not a big issue that they're out there, but the ride by wire and the cruise control would be definitely cruise control would be nice to have on a, on a, bike that's they consider to be an adventure touring bike so uh, anyway so the motor's uh getting old from a technological standpoint but it's still a great motor i mean it's great in the mt07 it's great in the tenere 700 slightly uh, retuned for more torque a little softer power delivery so when you're off-road again you have only one mode you don't have a street mode and an off-road mode and a rain mode you have a mode <laughs> right. one mode <laughs> Easy to pick which mode you want. The only one they have. And okay. so, but it works really well. Uh, Off-road, uh, you can dial in the amount of wheel spin if you want it. Uh, it. The Pirelli tires on there, the Scorpion STR tires are fairly street oriented. They're the big block tires, not even, not not the kind of knobby-ish tires. Uh, so it's, the tires are definitely designed for more for the street rider than the dirt rider but i rode the bike quite a bit off-road and in fairly technical i wouldn't say technical terrain but difficult terrain uh it was it's a, a lot of it was dirt roads not single track because you know you're talking about a bike that's over 450 pounds parallel twin motor uh seat heights over 34 inches inches of travel you're you're you've got to be pretty confident of what you're doing to be riding a single track you know technical tricky single track on that now they have sure. that guy, Paul Torres. I don't know if you've seen his videos, but he does insane things on that bike. He does things that you cannot believe you would do on a bike that big. That's like it's like something you'd think you would do on a, you know, on a BMX bike or something. So <laughs> the bike is super capable if you're, you know, if you have the confidence and the skill. But for the average person, you know, it's it's it has its limits off road. Uh, and when I, of course, I always say this when I say off road. I actually mean off pavement because I'm always on a road. You know, I'm not just riding out cross country or anything. Not that you couldn't ride it cross country across the desert, you know, but let's say on in technical stuff, it's, you know, it's a big bike. So, but on the dirt roads I was riding, it was a lot of talky stuff, a little bit of sand, but not much. A lot of big, sharp rocks, uh, some of them embedded in the ground, some of them loose. So there was a, a lot of different challenges for the bike. And even though it had those street-ish STR, probably STRs, still did pretty good. Uh, a big part of it is the engine. The engine doesn't, unless you want to rev it up, the engine is pretty docile at the bottom end so that you have that traction so that it doesn't do anything exciting <laughs> You know, when you don't expect it. It can do it. If you want to ride in the top half of the the power band yeah that bike will haul uh, again it's about how comfortable you feel on you know off pavement how difficult the road is what your skill level is on how fast you want to ride it uh you know because some people ride that bike super fast off road right. so uh you know but for me you know i'm a pretty good off-road rider pretty confident uh, adventure bikes always leave me a little wary because I ride dirt bikes. That's almost a disadvantage because I'm used to riding a bike that's under 300 pounds and very narrow. 
Uh, the Yamaha is decently narrow, not super narrow, but decently narrow. Uh, again, that seat height is 34 plus inches, pretty tall. You know, you're pretty, for the bike that heavy, uh, eight inches of wheel travel. Uh, so you have to kind of, the attitude of most adventure bikes and the Yamaha is no, 10 or 8, 700 is no exception, kind of have to go for it. You know, if, you, if you're facing this kind of rocky uphill road and it's, you know, something that you would not go and let's say if you're in a four wheel, you wouldn't want to take a two wheel drive truck up it. You might make it, you might not, you'd want a four wheel drive truck. So it's kind of a four wheel drive truck trail. So those can be pretty nasty. And this one, some of these were, but the bike every time went through, all I did is just kind of up to speed, hold on, look ahead, be loose. And, and the Yamaha uh, Tenere 700 is actually pretty good. And, you know, when I'm looking at the spec sheet, it's, it struck me that the Yamaha Tenere is this, about the same weight as the Kawasaki KLR650. And the KLR650, certainly back in the 80s, was just considered a dual sport bike because there's no such thing as an adventure bike. And now it's kind of a crossover. It's kind of an adventure bike. It's kind of a dual sport bike. So I would say the same would apply to the, the, the Tenere 700. It's kind of a dual sport bike in a way, if, if you think the KLR650 is, which many people do. But still more of an adventure bike because it's got the twin cylinder motor that's wider and it's just kind of a bulkier bike, even though it doesn't weigh all that much, relatively speaking. So it's uh, it's it's an interesting bike to ride off road. Uh, it's great to have ABS. Uh, I was going down, I was up in the Cleveland National Forest and I was going down a road and it, it kind of opened up and I was going downhill pretty fast and I just kind of misjudged how things were going and there was a really hard right hand hairpin and I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I need to stop. <laughs> and so, because if <laughs> I didn't make the hairpin, there was like a big cliff that I would not want to, I mean, I certainly would have like let go of the bike and let the bike go off, but it would be just been a bad day to have that happen. Right. So I'm right. going, grab the brakes, no ABS and the front wheels sliding because it's, again, it's the kind of streety tire. So both wheels are sliding, but the bike's staying stable, you know, not like, uh, you know, so I'm kind of feathering the front and going and the bike's going, 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 going. And just before it was about time to get off the bike, it stopped. And I was thinking about, you know, if I had ABS, wow. let's say I had the front wheel only ABS, because that's the one you'd want for off, off road. It's like, would it stop faster? It's like, maybe, I don't know, but at least if it doesn't, I'll have known that I was under control. It was my decision. You know, if right. I'm on, if, if I have the ABS and I'm like full on the brakes and things going duh, 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 and turning off and going on and turning off and going on. And then I go over the cliff, I'm going to be kind of mad at the ABS. If it's off and it's up to me to decide how to handle it, then I have only myself to blame. <laughs> so there's kind of a little bit of that, but you do like on a dirt bike, you do like to be able to, you know, lock the wheels up, not so much the front, but sometimes the front, but certainly the back, so you can you know slide it around and back into the corner and make the turn. Now I wasn't able to do that, but I was able to stop. So uh, I'm I was grateful that it has the uh, the full off ABS, and it was it was <laughs> it was not there when I needed it. So <laughs> uh, so it, it's you know you can jump it. You know, with eight inches of travel, you don't want to jump it. You know, you don't want to do triples at the Supercross track, but you can get air and the bike cushions down. It's it's a pretty cushy ride. You know, Yamaha, it not 
it's not overly wallowy, but it's it's definitely plush. Again, Yamaha had eight inches of travel to work with. So they said, okay, if we make it too stiff, nobody will ever go through it. The bike will all be sitting, always be sitting up at the top of the tall. So this lets the bike kind of settle in off-road as you're hitting different bumps. It just kind of cushions down. And uh, if I got if I bottomed it maybe once, I don't know, but it it wasn't certainly a harsh bottom. Again, if you can ride certainly any you know, somebody who's really good can ride it fast enough to, to bottom out that suspension. But if you're doing that, you probably should be looking at a different bike. That's what I always tell people. If you're <laughs> having problems on some bike like this and it's it's not meeting your standards for off-road use, you need a different bike. You, you can't expect Yamaha to build the bike that's made for somebody else for you. Just let it be what it is and then go get something else. For the rest of us, and this is why the bike is so popular, it doesn't bottom out. It has plenty of travel. The travel is plush. The KYB, the settings they have for the springs and the damping are really good. It is adjustable. But at 170, I'm kind of the right weight for the bike in my kind of my skill level. So this is kind of a lucky thing for me in a way. Not great for tester, but lucky for me. Most bikes I get are set up for me. <laughs> so that's that, you know, I don't have to do a lot of twiddling of knobs or, you know, change the damping or, or preload you know i'll get on a motocross bike and they'll they'll say oh well, well let's set the sag and i get on it and they set it they go oh it's perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> they they set it up at the factory for me so <laughs> it's it, it's kind of an advantage and, and a disadvantage because i don't spend a lot of time working with the uh you know with the like, say the damping adjustments uh you know i would never want to you know, i'm trying to think if i would want to change the rebound i mean the the compression damping i might want to change if I was really a faster rider, you'd want us to do that. But the rebound is is quite the balance between, you know, the back end hopping up and or it being too slow and then the back end packing down. So off-road, the bike gives you a lot of confidence. It's got good ergonomics, not super narrow, but narrow enough and just a, a great off-road bike. Now, as we know, a lot of adventure guys never ride off road or only ride down the, the nicest of dirt roads that you could take your, you know, your Audi down. So, right, exactly. Right. So uh, on the pavement, uh, the Yamaha, I didn't mention it, but uh, again, cause the bike, you know, it's kind of a, it, this is like I'm riding a new bike, but it has an 18 and 21 inch wheels on it, which is standard for a dirt bike. So the narrow 21 inch front wheel gives you just that little slightest, lack of front end confidence when you're going fast through you know up in the twisties uh the tires are good again they're street oriented but they're not full street tires so you kind of have a little bit on the of the the two compromises there working against you uh i think the more I, if i rode it more i'd probably feel a lot better on the uh, in the twisties on it but it still felt good enough you know it's like i'm an adventure bike i'm going good going to a good pace you know cars aren't running over me from behind i'm catching cars anyway passing them so it, it's it's going good it's just it doesn't have that feel that two, a bike with two 17 inch wheels is going to have so you know you and also you have that eight inches of travel that's kind of moving the bike up and down so there's a lot of things working against that razor edge street you know or, or canyon sort of performance but again this is not you don't buy this bike oh, i'm going to go race in the canyons with my friends I think I'll buy a Tenere 700. No, go buy the MT-07. There's your bike. And you can go, you know, 
have it out with your friends and have a good time. So uh, again, so the also part of the bike is that it's an adventure sports, adventure touring, whatever you want to call it. And so on the open road, it's great. You know, that, that suspension just really keeps things smooth. Uh, you miss the, tr- the cruise control out in the desert, you know, if you're, go- or you're going along long stretches where you, you know, don't need to, you know, you just want to keep the bike kind of the same speed. Again, no cruise control. It's kind of a bummer, part of the older aspect of the engine. So somewhere at Yamaha, I'm sure they're working on that's, you know, the next generation is either integrate the electronics into the existing motor somehow, or there's going to be like a new generation of the motor. Now, again, they, the performance of it's great. So I have no qualms. I don't feel like they have to fix the motor because it doesn't work right. But, you know, a- adding a lot of those electronics to it would be great. And back to the twisties a bit yeah it, it only has the up you know upshifting like that's pretty prehistoric you know <laughs> it's funny nick descent and i we disagree on uh nomenclature to me quick shifter has become up down like that's just given the auto blipper thing and uh, there's never been a term that's annoyed me more than auto blipper it just sounds so <laughs> ridiculous so <laughs> i just cannot wrap my head around that is a quick shifter you ask somebody that had no idea what a quick shifter is said it has a quick shifter you you might kind of they might have an idea what it is you said this is an auto blipper they'd go what is that what does that do (laughs) so i like things that are you know terms that are you understand (laughs) you know that they're intuitive to understand so to me a quick shifter in 2023 or this 2024 model is a, a quick shifter that goes up and down you just assume that now there's there's so few that aren't that way that's kind of to me the default position so anyway as it turns out this the for the yamaha it is upshift only so uh you have to manually blip to downshift without the clutch which i don't like doing I, i'm a clutch guy so uh that's that's the little red flag that the, the bike is a bit dated from in that aspect of it and it's too bad because like I said, the motor works great. The chassis works great. So there's nothing that feels dated about the bike except for the electronics suite isn't there. And even like I said, the basics like cruise control and up down quick shifting when you want it. But anyway, the quick shifter is 200 bucks, totally worth it. Even if it's up only uh, The Yamaha has put all the wiring in standard so that it saves you some money when you, you know, the installation is much simpler than if they didn't have all the, you know, the wiring in. So that's cool. And uh, they have other, you know, they have all sorts of accessories for the bikes and make, make it for what you want. They have a bigger aluminum skid plate. They have crash bars, uh, saddlebags, top case. So, you know, you, there's, a, there's a lot of flexibility in this bike. It's one that uh, I did some freeway riding and it lane splits pretty good. And so, you know, you could use, there would not be a bad bike to have as a, commuter bike uh just like the mt07 except you'd have if you live somewhere where you need a little bit more protection from the elements this has you know like a fairing and a fairly high non-adjustable unfortunately windshield and i mean the, the windshield height again me being like five nine and a half or ten ish five nine i keep shrinking it it uh you know it's the windscreen's about right uh, you know i can't i i would probably adjust it off-road to be lower but it it, it works pretty well but still would be nice to have it adjustable and without tools. I never understood these windscreens that are adjustable with tools. It's like, 
I'm supposed to stop every time I like go from the dirt to the street and pull out some tools and undo four bolts and move it. And God, come on, it's it's doable. There's you can make a little lever thing that goes up and down. Some of the bikes have it. Go copy them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean even the ones with just just the knurled knobs on there, just so that you can just adjust it by hand without tools. You know, that's about as as basic as you want to go, really. But yeah. right, but that's better than you know. I got to get out allen wrenches yeah or an allen usually it's only one allen wrench but you know okay so after having all, all these years of having to wait to ride the tenere 700 where the rest of the planet had gotten to ride it except for me that <laughs> it, it really was everything every all the good things that people said about it and i never really heard much in the way of bad things except for the, that's funny all the good things were true the bike is easy to ride it's fun to ride it works off road it works on road it's incredibly versatile incredibly easy to use something that uh, an experienced rider like me can enjoy but if somebody's new to the adventure world as long as they're okay with that seat height uh it's great but i was also i should mention that there are ways to lower the seat height about an inch and a half you can yamaha makes a different uh linkage setup so that drops the bike some and there's also a shorter seat so but those two things you can you can lower the bike and one of the funny things about the seat is uh Neil Wyatt, when he picked up the bike and he rode it from uh, LA up to Portland, Oregon, and he, oh, he, Neil's a pretty picky guy, and he really hated the seat, and he like basically said, "I rode the whole way up standing up." So I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, uh, let me see how bad the seat is. And it's like I rode the seat, I rode all, I can ride all day with that seat, no problem for my butt. So <laughs> if butt's more sensitive, maybe it's shaped different, you know. But and I have heard other people complain about the seat, but I had no complaint about the seat. Uh, and also, if Yamaha also offers a tall seat, a rally seat. So if you if, if 34, I think it's 34.4 inches isn't tall enough for you, you can have it up over 35 inches, <laughs> which right. is pretty high for a bike like that. But if you're a tall guy, that's great. You know, that's exactly what you want. So there's a lot of adjustability in that aspect of it for Yamaha. The, for the Tenere, as far as rider size, you can, it can go from, you know, uh, the range is about three inches for the seat height, which is pretty broad range. Uh, so it was great to get to ride it and get to really ride it, you know, on the freeway, in the twisties, off road, serious off, off pavement, serious, you know, dirt roads, not just grooms, per, super easy ones, but ones that, you know, there were moments where I was thinking, ah, it'd be nice to be on a dual sport bike instead of this, but this is my job and I've got to do my job. <laughs> so and then after I do it, it's like, ah, that was cool. You know, you know how that always is. Any kind of adversity you get, you meet while riding, it sucks while you're going through it. But then afterwards, you're like, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> it's pretty, and that's what keeps us going, you know? It's yeah, like, for sure. You're on the street and it was rainy, it was horrible. You're like, oh man, that sucked. And then later you go, ah, that's a cool ride. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's like i'll get in trouble but i i think it's like women who they childbirth oh that was terrible was horrible thing oh when are we gonna have another baby you know right so so yeah it's it's a really cool motorcycle i, I would think the guys who did the design work on it the r&d the testing they must have been pretty impressed with themselves initially when they built it and of course they've you know they haven't had to do much of anything to it for and it remains popular and it remains right. a totally viable motorcycle where you're like yeah this is cool this this is working and 
the price has gone up, you know, it, it started below $10,000, but with inflation, and this does have the new features, you know, they did TFT is going to cost more, uh, you know, so the wiring, adding the wiring is a little bit, you know, of an expense, uh, adding software for the ABS, uh, you know, all this in the little, little knob that spins it around, all those things will cost much. It's uh, at 10799 now. So that's, you know, that's a reasonable over five years. That's a, that's, that's a pretty good, you know, they're keeping it pretty close to 10. It's not, it's not, it's not below 10, but it's there, you know, it's still for what it is, uh, you know, for its class, it's a pretty inexpensive bike. Uh, the, the real competition for it now is the Suzuki uh, V-Strom 800 DE, which is like three or $400 more. So not a lot more, you know, if you're spending that much, three or $400 isn't going to, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be a decider for me, which bike I was going to get, I'd get the bike I want, you know? Right. So soon, I think Nick and I, or Jess and I, or Kelly and I, or somebody and I, uh, will be coming on and talk. We'll do a comparison of those two bikes because they both have the, you know, 18, 21 inch wheels, longer travel suspension. They definitely are aiming for the same, the same buyer and the same user. So, uh, and I've ridden both, uh, you know, I, I, and I rode the uh, Suzuki V-Strom 800 DE on the same sort of terrain as the, as I did the Yamaha. It was it, it, on a different continent, but, you know, rocks and silt and dirt, are, you know, pretty universal. And uh, they both did a good job and they both impressed me with how much they can do if I'm willing to go for it. So, uh, you know, we'll have to drag them both out, ride them both and figure out, you know, where each one has strengths and what's, you know, over the other, which one is not quite as good as the other. And uh, I can't, I, it's one I can't tell you in advance, which is good because uh, they're, they're definitely in the same, same ballpark uh, price-wise size displacement and, and, configuration right yeah it was it was cool to get the finally the yamaha tenere 700 after all these literally years of everybody else hogging the bike so i couldn't ride it now <laughs> i get to ride it yay and i'm supposed to be you know the big shot i'm the editor why do i get to ride it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds like um I, I mean it's been around for a long time now so it, it's obviously a well-evolved motorcycle so although it's uh it's a little long in the tooth in in a couple of areas. Overall, it's a well evolved, really good all round motorcycle. Really, by the sound of it. Yeah, well, it's not even evolved. I mean, they really barely have done anything, <laughs> other than the TFT and the ABS. Yeah, it's 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 just the same old bike, but it, they got it right the first time, and yeah. uh, that's okay. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. Okay. okay, thanks a lot for your insight, as always, Don. Really appreciate it. I love sharing it. Thank you. In our second segment this week, I chat with my friend Heath Coffran, the US communications lead for Alpine Stars. Heath chats about some of the upcoming ideas from the company, the AirTech safety system and its development, and the really interesting new Supertech R10 helmet that was just launched last year and worn for the first time by Jorge Martin and Jack Miller in MotoGP. I was very late in the motorcycle game. I didn't buy my first street bike until 2004, uh, a Triumph Bonneville. 
um, because I was a big Evil Knievel fan all growing up through when I was a little kid. I had the Evil Knievel toys. You know, you wind the wheel and you jump it. Like I still have one that my son plays with. But he was always like a hero to me, even though, you know, I never owned a motorcycle. No one in my family rode a motorcycle. None of my friends rode a motorcycle. But I always just thought that he was just this cool guy. And ultimately, what I wanted to do when I was a kid is I wanted to be a stuntman. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a stuntman so I could jump off of buildings and do all these crazy things. And I used to jump bicycles like we did in the 80s, you know, so... Evil Knievel was like one of those guys that just spoke to me. So growing up, you know, I rode dirt bikes before, just kind of, you know, cruising with my friends. I, I, that was the first actual motorcycle that I owned was a, a motocross bike. And I used to ride motocross track days with friends, ride trails. But I was never really interested in the modern motorcycle. Let's just say I always kind of had a, an inkling towards classic things and vintage inspiration. And so when Triumph came out with the modern Bonneville, what was it? 2001, I think, or two, I saw that, I saw that bike and like, I thought it was a vintage bike. And I was like, wait a minute, like that's a new bike. And so over the, a few years I observed it and watched it. I'm like, if I was ever to own a bike, like that would be it. And so Triumph came out with the all black Bonneville. Now that, Everything I owned black. My cars were black. Like everything was black. I loved black. So when Triumph came out with the all black Bonneville, I was like, oh no, I think this is talking to me. And so I did a little bit more research and went down there to the Triumph dealership in Orange County um, that's not there anymore and looked at it and I had to have it. I didn't have a license. I I, didn't, I knew how to ride a bike because I rode dirt bikes, but I didn't have a street license or anything. And I bought that Bonneville in 2004, and I always named my, my, my pets and my vehicles after musicians. And so I named my bike June uh, because Johnny Cash was a – I was a big fan of Johnny Cash, and Johnny Cash always wore black. So June, June uh-huh. Carter. So my bike was named after his wife, June. So okay. June, June uh-huh. was it. And that was the, my first bike. And I rode that to put it to you fast forward. That bike now has 130,000 miles on it. Um, I rode it to Canada, Mexico, I don't know, countless States across the Western wow. U S I've done wow. flat track races on it. I've done hooligan flat track racing when it was really hooligan, I've done a supermoto day on it. I've done uh, road race track days on it. Um, I I've done everything you could possibly imagine on that bike because it was you know back in the days you know like motorcycles was a motorcycle. You did you rode it in the dirt with it. You rode it on the street with it. You did everything right. with it. And to yeah. me, the Bonneville spoke to me because I, I could do whatever I wanted with this bike, and I did. And, you know, over the, you know, the years of everything happening, I came to meet a friend of mine who now is one of my best friends, who's a custom painter. And of course I bought the bike because of Evil Knievel. So I had drawn this, this, this layout, this rendering, like I really love to draw. And I drew like my graphics for what I wanted this Bonneville to look like. I wanted to basically replicate as much of an Evil Knievel bike as I could because 
Evil Knievel jumped Caesars on a Triumph, and that was one of the big things that drew me to the bike. And so I figured when I eventually have my own bike, I want to customize it and make it an Evil Knievel tribute. So my friend Matt at Anaheim Rod and Custom, an incredible um, painter, he now paints for Arch Motorcycle. So very, very high-end painter. Um, wow. He, We painted my bike over a week and a half to replicate Evil Knievel bike. And like, that's what I did all the racing with track days on it. Like it was a pretty intense paint job and people were like, you're going to race that bike. You're going to do what with that bike? I'm like, Hey man, like the bike's got to be written regardless if it looks like a showpiece. I'm like, that's just what you do with motorcycles. So yeah. And that's what that kind of brought everything back to the whole reason why I bought the bike because of evil Knievel and you know, that bike now was with my brother um, who is just learning how to ride him and his wife now have it up in Sacramento. So it's still on the family and getting more miles on it. They're still riding it up there. And amazing. Um, just makes me happy that the bike is still being used and it's still in the family, you know, since 2004 when I first bought it. That is amazing. What a, wow. What a testament to triumph. So tying <laughs> into the Harley. Yeah. Okay. Tying so, into the Harley thing that you okay. brought up. So um, I was part of a motorcycle club, BA Moto. I, I kind of am, but kind of am not because <laughs> I don't really ride the bike anymore. But um, British BA Moto was basically all the guys that I bought the bike from worked at a dealership. That dealership closed down. After that dealership closed down, they decided to start their own company um, servicing uh, modern triumphs, but also vintage triumphs. So oh. BA Moto became this little club of guys that had modern triumphs that just wanted to ride together. And so we would do annual road trips for nine days every year. We would take our Bonnevilles. We would pack them up with camping gear. We would go for nine days, randomly going wherever we felt like go. And so we would do these road trips. And throughout these trips, we would all kind of hang out together and we were in Long Beach hanging out at a, a local place that we used to, to just have food at, you know, have a beer or whatever. And there was like a scout from Harley Davidson there. And the scout there like came up to me and was like, hey, would you, you know, have any interest in being in a Harley Davidson commercial? And I was like, Harley Davidson? He's like, yeah, we're going to pay you to ride this motorcycle around for a commercial. And I was like, okay, sign me up. Yeah. And so and I, Evil Can Evil did ride Harley Davidson. So yeah, yeah, it was he still did. the same tie-in. <laughs> yeah, no, it was funny because I, I rode to the set for the first shoot. You know, of course I rode my my triumph to it, and they're like, Oh, you don't have a Harley? I'm like, no, it didn't really have an interest <laughs> in owning a Harley. Like, this is my baby. And so I did the shoot with them. Um, and they really liked working with me and was actually able to work with them for, for multiple occasions um, to the fact to where they started using me too much. <laughs> yeah. And then they said, like, we can't use you anymore. Um, but I brought up the point to them because I, I knew how to ride really well. You know, as a writer for commercials, working with the cameraman and knowing where to be, it helps cut down the time frame of the shoot because you know where to go, you know where to be, you know what they want. And so I kind of proposed to the Harley team, like, hey, how about I help you get new riders? And then I help train them at the same time just to make the process go by faster. And they were like, right. absolutely, absolutely, sure. 
And so we did that for, for a little while longer. And that kind of got my, my wheels rolling in other areas because I was very interested in um, videography. I had done my own videos before. I had done my own photography before. And so I started learning from all the Harley guys on set about videos and photos and started doing that mm. on the side also on top of you know what I was doing at the time. And that connected me to Moto Geo. Moto Geo you know, Jamie Robinson travels all over the world. And at the time he needed a cameraman. So I had taught myself camera. And so I was working for Jamie Robinson, Moto Geo, who is a partner with Alpine stars. So ah, okay. I was working with Jamie and Alpine stars. Jamie is a writer for Alpine stars, commercials and videos. So there was one time um, that Jamie was supposed to do a shoot with Alpine Stars, but couldn't do it. And so he said, hey, Heath, could you fill in for me? You know, we're the same size. You, you obviously know how to write in commercials for Alpine Stars. And I was like, of course, you know, whatever you need, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and they said, they'll pay you some money. And I was like, sweet. And so this was the very first Tech Air video that Alpine Stars put out. And I was the writer for that commercial. And then I had met the whole team from Alpine Stars and, you know, doing a photo shoot, you end up talking to them about, you know, what you used to do and this and that. And they were like, hey, we have a position uh, that's open that you might be interested in. And I'm like, uh, you're trying to take me from Moto Geo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but ultimately, my son was also just born. And right. so, you know, I was looking for different things and, you know, not looking for other jobs, but looking for ways to just better support my family. And, you know, Jamie was like, hey, dude, if like if this Alpine Stars job, you know, makes sense for you. It's like, dude, like, of course, I'll put in the word, whatever you want, like your family and I'll help you. And you, right. you would do That's great nice for them. Thing. Yeah. And so that was <laughs> almost nine yeah, that years was, ago. That was at about... That was about the time when you and I met because we were doing a track day. I think it was at Streets of Willow and and you sort of mentioned it to to myself and, and my buddies and we're kind of like, hey, I'm thinking of taking this job at Alpine Stars and I, I think I've probably taken it. And, you know, what do you guys think? And we were all like, oh, that'd be awesome. You know, wow, how cool. You know, great. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, and so here we are. Oh, yeah, so that was it. Um, nine years later, I think the end of next year would be ten years. I started in December of two thousand fourteen. So that, yeah. yeah, so yeah, it'd be time flies, isn't it? Oh my god, crazy! Yeah, yeah. and that, that's 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 what brought me here, and kind yeah. of the whole path to Alpine Stars was, you know, ultimately yeah. through a triumph. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So. So working at Alpine Stars, mm -hmm. obviously, I think if I had to sum up Alpine Stars in one word, which is difficult because you probably need two or three, but I would say maybe innovation. Absolutely. Would that, uh, would that be fair? I it, mean, I, I, I know we're talking, you know, supreme quality and, and all. I mean, just amazing. But, but really, I mean, in, the innovation of Alpine Stars is always struck me very strongly and, and yeah. how how was it when you first started there what you know what what did you get involved in and, and, and that sort of thing yeah no to 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 have one word represent alpine stars like you said uh innovation is probably one of the first words that that comes out 
that speaks to me the most um, because you know, Alpine Stars was born from the very first motor, purposed motocross boot ever made. And that was in the, the very, that was in the 60s. And yeah. from that point moving forward. That was Gabrielle's dad, wasn't it? Yeah, San, Sante Mazzarolo. He is the, the founder of Alpine Stars, you know, back in 1963. This is our 60th anniversary this year. And I, and I, tying in the word innovation, it really is from the very beginning because Sante, you know, was a third generation foot cobbler from Italy and they made work boots for families. They went around door to door and they made work boots for um, people that were in that region and where they were from. So at a very early age, you know, he learned about innovations in footwear. And when he became older, you know, he was looking like what's happening in the area where I live where I can use my expertise and innovate something. And it was motocross. Motocross was growing incredibly popular in the 60s. And he knew how to work leather and footwear. And he's watching what these guys are wearing. And he's like, these laces? No. Like, this, these, these boots are way too short. Like, they're wearing work boots. Like, it should be a buckle system so it's safer, it's stronger. And that's what his whole ment- – I mean, I wasn't there. But <laughs> innovation was the core of what – made Alpine stars, Alpine stars. And you look now 63 years later into technology and airbags and materials and making things lighter and more protective than ever. You know, the standpoint of what you said, innovation absolutely is one fundamental foundation word that could be used to describe what Alpine stars does is innovate. Absolutely. Yeah. And and getting into your question, when I first got here, what 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 was my focus and role? Stepping just a tiny bit back to my my history, I actually went to school for engineering. I was a, a CAD operator, and worked as somewhat of a mechanical engineer um, for a, quite a few years. Actually, I, I worked on engineering projects for jail companies, making uh, jail beds, jail doors. Um, jail, all different kinds of, of metalworking. And I ran CNC machines, helped program CNC machines. So I had a very meticulous kind of engineering point of view um, very long ago. So I think that was one of the reasons, one of the things that also attracted Alpine Stars to me, not only my sales background, marketing background, I was in a band for 10 years. So I'm very comfortable in front of many people, speaking, talking, singing, you know, what have you. <laughs> so there was a lot of elements where it really did make sense. So my initial role was um, media communication. So I worked, of course, with people like yourself, different media outlets, helping people understand the new technologies of Alpine Stars and the why behind the products of what we make. And to the end consumer, you know, my even to still what I do now, it's helping people understand the technology that's behind the protection that is made so people can, you know, when they have that money to spend on a on a protection product that they choose Alpine Stars because of the innovation and materials and quality and the why behind why we do what we do. So initially it was that. I came in on that. Uh, perspective and that was my my foundation that that's kind of started everything but because of my background in so many different 
things like it it grew it grew from you know uh, now doing all company presentations um speaking at you know major events on the company's behalf uh, speaking to our our customers speaking to clients speaking to staff like it's one of the things i love the most is is getting a chance to talk about alpine, alpine stars to our team and to dealers um, but also helping organize different events when we do launches um, helping curate um, partnerships with other OEMs. You know, it's really vast on so many different levels of the brand, but ultimately it's brand quality and how it's communicated to every outlet through dealers, through social media, through websites, through partnerships, through um, photo shoots, video shoots, you know, everything. It's just making sure, overseeing the element of who we are as a brand and that the quality and the premier element of, of what we do is represented on all elements and aspects. You've, you've had several innovations sort of over the years. I remember when you guys started printing on leather where you could really start doing, you know, kind of any sort of designs at all. And I'm talking, you know, 20 years ago now, you guys were, were doing that. I mean, the race suit design and the graphics and so on was really unlimited the, the the kind of stuff that you were able to do and then of course i think really like you say the sort of maybe the next big thing was really the airbag and i remember back in the early days of that we were at a chuck day at chuck waller and you you very kindly volunteered me to mm. uh, to pop an airbag in front of a whole bunch of people <laughs> yes that deployment on the airbag that's just one of those things when people see that you know, obviously you're seeing an external view of what the airbag does, but ultimately it's on the inside. Like you don't even know it's there. But when that airbag, you know, deploys, you know, eight times faster than you can blink, it's, you know, it's so fast. And in certain circumstances, it needs to be that fast. But oh, of when people get a chance to see that airbag deployed, I mean, it, it, there's just the eyeballs open up and it's like, wow, I had no idea that's how much coverage is given. That's how fast it is. And then when people are wearing it, they're like, this is so light. Like, it feels like a, like a tiny little backpack on me. And so, you know, the airbag, as far as innovations go and the technology of, you know, making a difference and, and really changing the viewpoint of protection for motorcycle riders was, uh, you know, a very crucial thing. And that's, we're coming on 22 years of Alpine Stars Tech Air technology. And so it's, and it's not stopping. You know, we're going to be at CES coming up. CES, a computer electronics show in Las Vegas happens every year. And this is a, a great foundation for us to present new airbag products because they're, you know, fully electronic autonomous system. And so we're going to be there in just like a few weeks showing yet a new system to the market, actually two new systems to the market that are coming out next year. Um, so this serves as a, as a great standpoint to, to talk to this on a real global scale because CES, I mean, there's all walks of life uh, at this event. I'm not sure if you've ever been to it, but I technology have, yeah. and innovation and electronics, I mean, it's insane the amount of, of tech that is there. And for Alpine Stars to be there, you know, showing the world, you know, the latest in motorcycle evolution technology it's just so important to us and it's the perfect place to do that kind of talk yeah yeah the 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 airbag system has really 
as dramatically advanced things. I mean, we've all seen, you know, kind of what you guys have done in MotoGP and so on, you know, when mm -hmm. MotoGP riders have these enormous, massive crashes and just sort of, yeah. and, and you, you know, I mean, you and I both have, have fallen off enough that they're still mm -hmm. banged up, but, but the airbag is definitely saving. But, but I've known other colleagues, other journalist colleagues who've crashed on the street wearing your technology and, mm -hmm. A couple of them, um, you know, Troy Sihan at, at motorcycle.com. That's a, right. Had a big That's right. And, and he told me, he said, he said, I cannot imagine how I would have, what would have happened to me if I hadn't had that airbag go off. So when you get sort of real, real world experience like that, you know, sort of passed on, it definitely makes you think. So you think there's, so there's more airbag technology coming more. This isn't oh, just. Absolutely. There's not no, more. No. Just, algorithm updates or anything it's no i mean you you think about i mean just just look at motorcycle riding in general you have people that are are new to motorcycle riding that you know are commuters that ride every day there's people that do long haul touring there's people that ride adventure bikes there's people that ride dual sport bikes there's people that ride um naked sport bikes there's people that race you know, there's, there's so many, there's people in motocross, you know, think about all those disciplines. And our goal is to have airbag systems that are specific for each discipline. And there's systems that are available to support each kind of riding discipline, because we know how beneficial these airbag systems are electronically. We see the data, you know, you've seen, we've, we've posted lots of data about MotoGP crashes, even Dakar crashes, you know, up to sometimes 30 G's of force to a rider's body where the impact shows left shoulder, right shoulder, back chest. Like you can see that. And these riders get up wow. and walk away, sprint to their, their garage to grab another bike and qualify on pole position. We've seen it in Mark Marquez. We've seen it in, in so many different riders. Let, let's, be, let's be honest. The first time any of us go down, the first thing we do is rush over and see how the bike is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The first thing we do. And, and if an airbag enables us to actually stand up and be able to do that, then, yeah, it's that amazing. Yeah, but t tying into what you said, Having all of these versions, I mean, we, we're definitely the company that has given the most emphasis and has the most systems available to the market with more coming because we, we see and we learn and we, and we develop, you know, as, as this system developed strictly in MotoGP, there were riders, you know, uh, John Hopson, Hopkins was one of them, Ben Spees was another, multiple, multiple riders wearing recorders data recorders over you know seasons right. to understand every time a rider crashed electronically it was recorded so an algorithm was basically put together from thousands and thousands of crashes so electronically we knew what a crash felt like same thing with touring same thing with commuting same thing with dakar same thing with dual sport riding adventure riding all of these kinds of disciplines are recorded electronically anytime a crash happens so we know what a crash feels like and looks like electronically so we know when the airbag should go off say it's a low side i've had a low side on the track wearing a tech air it didn't need to go off because it's a low side low impact and understand it's more of a slow movement 
But a, a low side is much more different than a high side. We know that 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 reaction, that movement that's so quick that happens and that triggers the system. Same right. thing happens on the street. If a rider is sitting at a stoplight and the, the system is in street mode, there's street mode, there's um, there's track mode, there's other modes coming out in these new systems that are coming. Um, but these systems understand, especially on the street, if you're sitting at a stoplight and a car hits you from behind, the sensors are sensitive enough to develop that airbag system before an impact happens to the rider. Same thing with when you're riding. It will deploy before the impact happens because that's the crucial element. It's, you know, it doesn't serve much of a purpose if it deploys after. But there are instances where it will deploy after. Say you do have a low side, but it's more of a high speed low side and you tumble. So that first slide, maybe the airbag doesn't go off, but say you flip. That's the instance where the airbag will go, oh, he needs it now. She needs it now. The airbag deploys, goes off, and keeps the rider fully inflated for five seconds because the average crash is about a second and a half. But based on our knowledge and research of crashes and watching that happen, yes, the average crash is a second and a half, but what if? We've seen instances in MotoGP, and we've all seen it, where a rider crashes, gets up, starts walking towards the bike, and another bike comes flying in behind them. And we've seen it happen with Johan Zarco. He got hit and was flipped over, and but his airbag was still fully deployed. So there are instances where the what-if happens. But that's why the, the systems are designed the way they are, because you never know what, what could happen. And so that's why there's so many different systems for commuters. There's the off-road system, which is launching um, to the public uh, in February. And then there's another system launching that we haven't announced yet. That will be a little bit later in the year. Um, that will be another uh, system that's catered to specific needs that riders have. So now we have Tech Air 3, Tech Air 5, Tech Air 10, Tech Air Race, um, <laughs> Tech Air Off-Road, and another system. But we've also had Tech Air Race, Tech Air Street. Um, we had MotoGP-specific ones. So there's, you know, we understand this is the way to protect riders to the ultimate because – when an airbag is deployed, 95% of that impact force is taken away. It, it's absorbed within that airbag system compared to a standard jacket. Standard jacket has you know little protectors, which is fine, but this is 95% more impact energy is absorbed and taken by the system when it's fully deployed. So that alone, you know, is like a oh my gosh, I had no idea, but that's that's what the numbers say. That's what, how much is taken away from the writer. The other thing is that that I that I like about your system is that you're able to do firmware updates. So even if somebody has a system that's maybe a couple of years old um, and they haven't used it, or maybe they have, or, or whatever it is, and these things aren't aren't inexpensive. I mean, it's it's an investment, like like any kind of form of of serious safety gear. 
but but at least people aren't caught in this in this constant oh my god you know every year i've got to update the thing i mean you can update the firmware and and so it actually will will last and yet they can still take take advantage of your sort of latest algorithmic updates if nothing else yeah and with the tech air app you know look the tech air 3 system is 599 and that's the you know that's your stepping point into airbag technology um all the way up to you know tech air 10 which is very similar um, to what MotoGP riders wear, where the airbag protection also comes all the way down to the hips. So you see MotoGP riders now when they crash, like you see they have this big hourglass shape down the hips. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, that's just over $1,000. You know, that's, you know, the ultimate in protection. So having, you know, different systems um, cater to that. And like you said, it's all organized through the Tech Air app. So the Tech Air app will alert you. Hey, there's a new algorithm update. Uh, make sure you connect your phone to your system. It's all Bluetooth enabled. So you get your phone close to where your system is. You turn it on, you connect it, and it'll update it within minutes. And, and you'll, be, you'll be set. Yeah. I also like the, um, the vest because... Again, you, you know, we've got guys, you know, we all have lots of different bikes. I mean, as you said, you've got, um, you know, you, your, your Triumph was a sort of a catch-all, but there are a lot of guys mm -hmm. out there that they, you know, they'll have they'll have a couple of dirt bikes in the garage, mm -hmm. but they'll also have a couple of street bikes as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so if they're wearing different types of gear, um, if you've got the vest, at least you can wear that no matter what. You can put the vest on and and run it with your off-road gear, but you can also put it underneath your street jacket and use it on the street as well. So I think that's that's a clever idea as well. Yeah. And and the other thing that was really important to us, you know, like you mentioned, that the Tech Air 3 system is is a vest, so it doesn't have the shoulders. And it's universal. You can wear it even if you don't have Alpine Stars gear. You can still wear it under your jacket or over your jacket and with tech air five that's specifically needs to be under the jacket or one piece suit and it can be used in race mode or street mode tech air five can also be used in light off-road and so it, it was crucial for us to to not just limit people that have alpine stars gear only because there there are people that wear other brands or might have a favorite old jacket but they want the ultimate and protection underneath. And that's the joy of Alpine Stars. Like say you have, you know, a, a 10 year old favorite jacket, you know, that's just means something to you, but it doesn't have the most up-to-date armor, but you just want to wear it. And so with Tech Air, you can wear this underneath that favorite vintage jacket and have modern technology protection, state of the art underneath a vintage jacket. And like to us, that that that's meaningful. Because we want everyone to to be able to experience and have the ultimate in protection, and that's why it was crucial for us to to make it a universally adapted system that that could work underneath anything as long as it fits correctly. Because it, it needs to expand, you know, about golf ball size. We we say that's everybody understands kind of how big a golf ball is, but that's about a thickness. Then you know they would need to have underneath as like a gap, a space for it to deploy. So if you have a jacket that's super tight, like you're not going to be able to wear it under. So the Tech Air 3, you can wear it over and you're still gold. And I'll give you a little bit of info. You hear it here first. The Tech Air 3 is also going to have some 
style updates uh, for next year that is going to appeal to a broader range of writers for wearing it on the outside of your jacket. Oh, oh, you know I'm going to want one of those. It's really cool. Like we, we're <laughs> going to be for anybody going to the CES show in Las Vegas uh, that is listening to this. We will have these on display, so you can see these. And if you follow our Instagram page, we'll definitely be showing sneak peeks um, of everything that we're showing at CES just to give the world an opportunity to see what we're working on, um, to see what the Tech Air development team has been working on um, for, for quite a while. And this is important. And, and motocross too. That's another big one for us to get into. We've been working on a motocross um, airbag system for a while. And as you can imagine, electronically, a motocross rider is crashing every two seconds. So, <laughs> you know, getting the algorithms to work and the sensors to work and making something that's very lightweight, you know, has been important to us. And we've been talking about this one for a while, but we're getting closer to having that one finalized. But Tech Air Off-Road is coming out first. Um, and hopefully, maybe by the end of next year, or 2025, we'll see Tech Air uh, motocross come come to life. That's awesome. Well, at, at just about the point when I thought that you were probably out of innovations, <laughs> it, it, it uh, turns out that you guys suddenly decide you need to produce a helmet. Yeah. So, wow. Um, I remember you showing that to me um, actually at the MotoGP at Kota earlier this year. And that was really impressive. Again, it's like you guys—you guys never do anything by heart, do you? It's, it's <laughs> Gabrielle's got this sort of weird thing about commitment. If he decides to do it, he does it a hundred percent. Oh, it's—it's it's never. Yeah, it's never. Nothing is—is—it's—it's one hundred percent always full forward. Full in, yeah, yeah. Lean in, my goodness. Taking the time. I mean, you look at the the SM10. That's our motocross helmet that's been out for 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 I think 2017. I'm not exactly sure, but I think around there. That's when that helmet came out. But after that helmet, you know, made its debut in Supercross. You know, we have a helmet. Here's one thing that that I, that I want to touch base on really quickly because I think it's important diving into this next element. I was at a media event when we launched the SR10. The SR10 is our road race helmet. We were at Mugello because we launched a limited edition version. I was at a, a I was at MotoGP with a, a media outlet and we were watching the races and we were there for the launch of the helmet. And he looked at me and he's like, "Hey Heath, you know." You know, after the team finished, you know, the, the Tech Air 10, you know, was that when they decided that they wanted to work on the helmet? And I and I looked at him, I'm like, I'm like, oh, Bradley, I'm like, <laughs> the, the helmet department is its own department. The Tech Air department is its own department. This leather suit department is its own department. The footwear department is its own department. The touring <laughs> department is its own department. There, there's so many different departments within Alpine Stars. That's why we launch a helmet the same time we launch Tech Air 10, the same time we launch leather suits, the same time we launch gloves. Is Alpine Stars is this this window, this umbrella of a brand, and underneath this umbrella are are other companies. We're a helmet company. We're a footwear company. We're an airbag company. We're a leather suit company. We're a women's um, company, we're touring, we're adventure, we're dual sport, we're motocross. Like there's all of these departments underneath the Alpine Stars window. That's why 
we're able to have so many products come out at one time because there's focused professionals that are experts in certain areas that are focused 100% on these different technologies and evolutions and development of products. So, you know, that that is why, you know, the helmet, as soon as that motocross helmet finished, the team was like, we were working on the road race helmet next. And that was, you know, almost how many years it was like that development, um, about five years total that the, the SR10 helmet, but it was the same with the motocross helmet was about five years of development just to make sure it was the ultimate protection and that it had every need that the team wanted to have in a helmet. And the same thing with the road race helmet, the SR10 that debuted this year in MotoGP. Um, but it started with Andrea Davizioso as our, our first real core development rider. And we saw that Andrea was the first one to show that to, to the world basically like a year ago, right? When the, the first test happened and Andrea was test riding his his Yamaha and he was wearing that helmet for the first time and that's where it made its debut. And then we made the announcement that Jack Miller and Jorge Martin were going to be our very first riders showing that technology um, to the space on a world scale and Jorge Martin um, got a few podiums uh, on that helmet. <laughs> quite a few <laughs> and so you know showing the world and even that i'm not sure if everybody saw the evolution of that helmet but you know there was an evolution of that helmet within one season because when we developed that helmet and it first came out the the side winglets that are a big part of stability with that helmet when it when it first launched those did not get approved through fim just yet but over the course of, I think it was two or three races, like the, the winglets were approved uh, on the helmet and that made its debut. And so that changed, that shook the world up a little bit too, as far as technology goes and innovation, as you spoke about earlier, is helmet innovation. You know, putting out a helmet that it had to do something different that we felt we wanted to give the riders advantage, not just safety, but also performance. And the the added winglets to a helmet, the added bit of aerodynamics that have been added to this helmet that our team focused on in wind tunnels with a rider, without a rider, uh, with a bike, without a bike, um, constantly it was how can we give riders the ultimate advantage in a helmet? So that's why the SR10 was developed the way it was that's why the aerodynamics were, were such a focus and lightweight and protection and adjustability and viewport and a locking shield. So if a rider was to crash, the shield's not going to go flying off. There's metal connections on the hinge points on the side, on the chin piece, all those crucial areas that, that need to make a helmet as protective as possible, comfortable as possible, breathable as possible, quiet as possible, um, were all incredibly important to the development of that SR10 helmet that you mentioned. Well, there were a couple of a couple of really neat um, ideas on it that that actually really caught my eye. You know, as a guy who's been riding motorcycles for well several decades, let's say, um, you you've got sort of slight cutaways at the side of the helmet to to uh protect your collarbone 
um, mm. in, in impact. Mm -hmm. That was that was a very interesting idea, which I, I really liked. But the I think the thing that struck me the most when we had the conversation at Cota was the airflow system that runs past the inside of the face shield. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I think it was a couple of weeks earlier at, in Argentina um, where it had rained so heavily and most of the riders were all complaining bitterly about, you know, fogging visors and it was absolute, I mean, it wasn't carnage, but but there were a lot of problems with, with the helmets out there, except for the two Alpine Stars guys had zero problems, had zero visibility problems. And when you pointed that out to me, that was very interesting, I thought. Yes. And so when we were coming up with this helmet, we tested the helmet in those same situations under the most extreme humid elements just as as you mentioned that race was it was a prime factor and when that race was coming up and we saw that that was happening we were like we've already tested this here so we're good <laughs> and so we had a hundred percent trust in our product that it was going to handle that situation because like i said it had been put through those those paces you know very early on because when looking at a helmet, you know, you one of the things I like expressing that the team does is the why. Why why make a helmet? What should the helmet do? And when you think about the levels of MotoGP, you are exposed to the most extreme scenarios. Heat. Very rarely is it cold, but sometimes it can be. Wind absolutely rain absolutely humidity absolutely so having a system designed into the helmet so you're i'm going to take one quick step back because you mentioned something the the rays the areas on the side of the helmet for collarbone protection yeah yeah that started with our motocross helmet and so that area where the carbon fiber of the shell is raised you know um, what is it about an inch and a half? Um, I'm not I'm not sure the exact measurements, but it was raised on that area because collarbone injuries are are so detrimental to riders. And most riders, I mean, back in the day before airbags, I mean, guys were crashing and it was collarbone, 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 collarbone was the injury. But same thing in motocross. Collarbone injuries in motocross, you know, uh, happened quite a bit. So our team wanted to develop a product that that allowed a little bit of soft, softer material. So basically the shell stops and then protruding down just a few inches uh, is a softer foam material that was for impact protection of the collarbones. And the, the SR10, it was important for us to do that too because you know all riders, you know, your heads when crashing, if that helmet hits the collarbone because that material is so hard, that it does have the the ability to break collarbones, and you, you've seen it. We've seen that happen with the research, and that's why we developed that portion of the helmet to have a softer material to prevent collarbone injury. And it was important to bring that into both helmets because trying to make or focused on making the most protective helmet possible, you have to look at all elements, and the collarbone was one of them. Yeah, it was uh, that was interesting. I was really interested to see that. Obviously, I've been wearing wearing motorcycle helmets for a long time, and uh, so that was that was really great. You know, some interesting innovation. Like I say, you guys are all about innovation, um, all of us.
just evolving something into into being just a bit better you know constantly working at it yeah and you were talking about the 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 breathability the 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 vents so i'll explain that just really quickly so there are so many different vents typically in a helmet that brings air in because you air you want airflow to come in through the helmet but what our team felt was very important is to also have an exit vent for breathing, but also for an exit vent for air circulation within the helmet. Because when air gets trapped in a helmet, one, it's more carbon dioxide in a rider's helmet, and you don't want too much carbon dioxide in a rider's helmet. You want more fresh air. But also by having exit points here on each side of the rider's head, it allows when you breathe hot air, the air comes out. So it allows venting. So there's constant flow of air. So nothing can fog up the shield, especially in human conditions. And so that was um, a very integral part within this, the helmet's design is to have exit air coming through that, that front design that you were talking about and that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's uh, it's great that that you guys are are still going on. Is there anything else coming out that you can talk to us about, or or uh, or is this all under wraps? I'm sure it's probably there's a certain level of secrecy here. There's new new materials that we've been working on that are going to be coming out uh, next year. Some of them haven't been mentioned mentioned yet. Um, we have a new glove, a new uh, MotoGP derived glove that's coming out next year that I just presented to our team in Italy that's coming out for 2025. Um, that's getting, that's, it's basically what the MotoGP guys are wearing. So there's some new technologies within that glove that are being used. Um, but ultimately it's a new airbag system. That's going to be the biggest thing that's going to come out. And people that are following, if you go to um, our pages during CES, you're going to get the first sneak peek of that. I can't mention this here because I'm not sure when this is coming out. <laughs> but uh, the CES will will definitely see some new technology coming out. Um, and as always, the company is always innovating, always looking for ways to to make writing as safe as possible. You know, our goal is to make writing as you know you can't make it as safe as being in a car, but we we want to do our best to come up with innovations and technologies that do make it as safe as possible to ride a motorcycle because we understand riding a motorcycle is scary. And there's a lot of people that don't ride motorcycles for that reason, you know, but we see it all the time, especially with tech air. We're in an event, you know, like CES where people that don't ride and we see guys come up with their wives saying, see, honey, this is what I was telling you about. Like this is an airbag for motorcyclists. So can, can I get a bike now? And we've seen the wives go, oh, well, maybe this is something that, you know, we can consider so you can get a bike next year. And like, that's it, man. Like, that's the thing we want. We want more people riding, even people that do ride that don't know about airbags. It's like, just, just look and explore and see what it does because we know the feeling of motorcycling and what it gives us, right? It, it's the ultimate freedom and the people that don't ride don't understand that and so by having all these added you know ways to protect people you know we want to open it up to more people we want to make the safest helmet possible the safest airbag possible jacket footwear i mean we make everything 
because we want it to be the ultimate experience. And for those that race and ride, we want it to be the most performance enhancing experience that riders could have. And so that that's ultimately our goal. Alpine Stars protects, you know, but it's ultimately it's innovating and finding ways to make it as safe as possible to ride a bike. Yeah, that's it. That is it. That's it. Well, Heath, I really appreciate you, uh, you talking to me about, uh, about all of this stuff and, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's really, like you say, it, it really helped bring another dimension to, to people. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in the riding in the seventies, in the eighties, when we didn't have this kind of stuff and, um, and, you know, and, and there've been some impressive, impressive, uh, improvements in safety but this stuff has really taken it to a completely different level yeah and we're not done we're not done we got a lot more to come well thanks Heath it's been great chatting to you and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime yes well, when we have something new to talk about <laughs>